Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo, because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Hey, fabulous listeners. We are so excited to be releasing our interview with Vu Lei today. We really hope you enjoy it. We do know that there were some technical issues, um, but we feel like you can still hear the content. So we are going to release it as is. Feel free to not email us to let us know that. Uh, It's an unfortunate thing as we are trying to uh, navigate everything these days. Um, But at the end of the day, you still have Vu on the line. You still have his great mind and ideas about nonprofits, his humor. So Hopefully, you'll still enjoy. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. Uh, we are recording this on June 9, uh, releasing it a couple weeks later. Brittany, how are you doing this week? Oh, I'm so excited. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned this week. Um, I'm a little thrown off because we usually record on Monday and release on Monday. And you just said happy Monday, but it's actually Tuesday. I, we we just want to keep everybody on their feet. I mean, things have been too too simple, too easy. So we want to spice it up. And oh, uh, it looks like some hello is is somebody joining us? Is yeah, hi. Some- it's Vu from Nonprofit AF. Oh my God! Vu, Vu is in Vu Yes. yes. Oh I'm just showing up randomly to this podcast. <laughs> without any sort of planning and email communication in advance over weeks. Oh what my. a spontaneous surprise to run into you both here. Oh my gosh, it must have worked. All of our calls, um, you know, we've put plenty of hashtags out there about you. Don't know if you've seen it. Talked about you on all the different episodes. And I just knew if we kept going, you would find out about it and show up one day. It worked. I'm here. (laughs) Oh, we are so thrilled to have you on the nonprofit reframe today. Uh, I'm quite sure all of our listeners who you know who you are because we talk about you so often, but just in case, would you give just a real quick overview of who you are and who nonprofit AF is? Yeah. Thanks, Nia and Brittany. Hi. Hi, everyone. This this is Vu. Uh, I write the blog Nonprofit AF. And before this, I was an executive director for 13 years at two organizations that are trying to get more people of color into nonprofits and help uh, organizations led by communities of color. So now I'm just unemployed. I guess I'm kind of like a, a trophy husband at this point, but a mediocre one. I'm like, I don't feel like brushing my hair right now. I, just, I don't have time for this. So. so when did you leave your last position? In December, I was hoping that I would have a nice break and, and focus on writing a sketch comedy show about nonprofit work. And of course, uh, the pandemic. Show. That's yes. amazing. It's like Saturday Night Live, right? But like five, seven minutes um, sketches with people revealing all the fun of our work. There's just so much fun in our work. Oh my gosh. I will be your number one viewer. That sounds amazing. Thanks, Brittany. I was hoping it would be popular enough that I can sell it to, um, to Netflix, you know, and nice. then retire for real. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great plan. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So uh, we talk about your blog a lot on the podcast because there's just a lot of coalescence with the way you think and the way we think and the, the way that uh, we'd love things to change. Um, I would love to just hear a little bit about, though, how you started the, bro- the job. I can't even talk. I'm so nervous and excited <laughs> to even talk. Deep breaths, deep breaths. Ooh. He's here. Okay. So the Nonprofit AF, uh, formerly Nonprofit with Balls, could you tell us a little bit about why you even decided to start that blog? It started about seven or eight years ago when a funder, social venture partner, asked me to write from a, from a grantee's point of view. And I thought, oh, shit, I can't say no to a funder. So that, that was basically the origin. So I started writing for SVP's blog. Wow. And I decided that I was, I, I've always been a class clown in, in high school. And I thought, you know what, we have enough academic writing. I want to do something that's more fun. And I also want to reveal just the, just the lightheartedness um, of our sector. Because we have a lot of really brilliant, funny, hilarious people here. You know, we're not just all like out there um, doing just important, heartbreaking. Yes, we are doing all that stuff. But we're also human beings who are multifaceted. And I think it's important to reveal all of that. Absolutely. I mean, so first of all, I promised my husband that I wouldn't fangirl too hard today. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to try not to. But that is one of the reasons why you're an idol for us and a mentor for us is because you have been able to do that. You've been able to blend humor with calling out the bullshit so beautifully (laughs) that it's palatable, you know, that people, they really hear it. And so I'm curious, you know, especially as of late, um, you know, your blog has really taken some, um, I don't know, I don't want to say criticism. I mean, maybe you would say criticism, but you're definitely being known as a disruptor. And so how did that kind of evolve? Yeah, uh, just re- I, I've been speaking a lot about, about a lot of these things, you know, operating funds, uh, restricted funding, the way that a lot of funding dynamics are very ineffective and actually detrimental to our work. And these things are not new. We've been saying them. You have probably been saying them. Lots of people have been saying them for a long, long time. And, pe- and things have just not been changing or not, have, or not been changing fast enough. And our communities deserve better. And I feel like over the last few years, I've been building up more of a, I guess, an, an influence, right? Or more profile. And I feel like those of us who have more influence and uh, more spotlight, we have a responsibility to use that, to call out some of the, the bullshit because other people may not be able to. So for example, I started calling out crappy funding practices by naming and shaming funders, right? That is not making me very we popular love it. a lot, <laughs> right? And I would actually call a bully by a fundraising colleague for doing that. I'm like, can you really bully? I'm like, really me, a vegan with a laptop and severe stress acne is out there bullying <laughs> a multi-billion dollar foundation? That's just ridiculous. And and does not understand power dynamics. I feel like if we have power, we need to use it for good. And so I feel like if I'm going to burn some bridges, then it and if it leads to uh, good things, then I'm then I'm willing to do it. It has probably cost me a few speaking engagements and stuff, but I think it's important for us to 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 consider what we are willing to give up. Vu, so I'm curious. Um, 
how that played out with you still having a staff position at a nonprofit and yet taking a very strong stance against uh, some of these funders and their funding practices. Was it ever a conflict of interest for you? And did you ever get any, um, you know, did anybody from your organizations that you worked with have take issue with it? Yeah, actually, there were board members who were concerned and they and they brought this up to me and, and they said, well, I, we don't know if what you're doing is helping or harming our work. But the reality is that I, I feel like it was actually helping more than harming for sure. Because I, I do feel like most funders are actually very reasonable folks. And if you're going to approach them with solutions and you're not just, you know, just complaining or attacking them, I think most funders are willing to listen. And actually, funders, program officers themselves have power dynamics with their own board. So being able to give them feedback means that they can bring this back to their boards and their CEOs or whatever and actually effect change. So I think overall, yeah, it, it is very nerve-wracking. And sometimes I write a blog post and publish it usually at 1 a.m. or so, and it criticizes foundations. And then at 5 a.m., I wake up in a cold sweat thinking, Someone is going to defund my organization. I just know it. That has never happened, actually. Ever. Hmm. You know, Vu, we, we saw you speak last year at the Rocky Mountain Philanthropy Institute up in uh, Breckenridge. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, one of the things that really struck me from, um, from both your formal talk, but also the, the kind of workshop you did, was what an incredibly strong relationship you had with funders. Like, I hearing the um, the kinds of conversations you were having directly with the funders made me kind of hopeful for what the future of philanthropy could look like in, in terms of kind of that true partnership um, and, and breaking down what um, what what is just laden with power dynamics in its current iteration. Um, so I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on how philanthropy proceeds from here in a way that actually upholds and furthers our sector in real and meaningful ways. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a good story of what I, I think the future of, of our relationship with program officers with philanthropy looks like, uh, looks like is a while ago when I was a program director of an after-school program. And I remember one, one day kids just skipped. There were like three kids in our program that normally had about 20 kids or so. And I just felt so crestfallen. And one of the first few people that I thought about calling up just to vent and complain was one of the funders who funded that program. And I called her up and I said, I'm so sorry. Kids are not showing to, to, uh, to the program this week. I don't know why I feel like crap. And you probably should just take back this money that you gave us because we were shitty. Uh, and she said, no. Because <laughs> we're like, shitty. First of all, calm down. <laughs> You're not shitty, <laughs> at least not in this way, maybe in other ways. <laughs> but you know, she's like, no, we're in Seattle and it's, it's, it's sunny. And it's one of the uh, eight sunny days we have in Seattle. So all the <laughs> right. Across the entire city are skipping out on every single program. So, you know, it's not you. It is the fact that it's sunny and kids are going to want to be outside. So, you know, we changed, we changed the program to take kids more outside and they came back. But I think the, I think the point I was, I'm trying to make is that you know, I, we had a good enough relationship with this funder 
where I can be honest and transparent and, and, and ask her for help, right? And because we had a good relationship, um, we, we just, we are able to be honest with one another. And also because she's focused on micromanaging me, she's out there talking to other programs. Um, and so she can see the different patterns, right? I feel like program officers should be like that, should be our partners, should be helping to increase morale, should be looking at patterns, should be convening us. But instead, oftentimes they have been forced into this role where they are just like this, this boss who is constantly looking over our shoulders to make sure that we're not stealing staplers or postage stamps or something like that, right? That is such a boring job to be looking over someone's shoulders instead of being someone that they can actually call and, and help to work on solutions together. Absolutely. Well, so here we are, it's 2020 and a global pandemic hits that I don't know about you, but I didn't foresee happening. And you have started this hashtag crappy funding practices, which you said um, some people have labeled you as a bully because of, (laughs) but I do think that with the onset of COVID, it's really, it's done one of two things. It's either really highlighted some crappy funding practices that were maybe already in place and now have just gotten worse with relief funding and or it has allowed funders this about face to say, hey, wait a minute, we want to be helpful, not detrimental. We don't want to add work. Uh, You know, here is some new funding opportunities with less restrictions around it. And I'm just curious what your take has been on it. Have you found that um, with the advent of COVID that these crappy funding practices are getting worse or getting better? I think someone said that the, 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 COVID, the pandemic is a great uh, masker. So foundations that, that have been really good become even better. Yeah. And the ones that have been really crappy become even crappier. And I do notice that. Uh, I, do, I do have some hope that a few of the funders that I see who were crappy are real, starting to realize, wow, we, we were really crappy and now we, we don't have time for this. And so they, they learn and they change and grow. So, um, but there are a few foundations that are doubling down, some who are just suspending grant making. <laughs> They're using the pandemic as a reason to not give out grants. So when people are literally starving they decided that, you know what, this is too complicated. We're gonna, we're just gonna leave and they're crappy and I'm gonna call them out. We so appreciate that. And I know, you know, Brittany and I have both been experiencing both sides of that coin. The, the awesome funders who are stepping up in incredible ways, uh, releasing funds straight from their endowment, going far past their 5% distributions, encouraging their DAF holders to do this more and, and, and step up and those who are pretending it's business as usual. Um, so I'm, I'm also curious, uh, kind of shifting a little bit, you know, we, we had the pandemic and now we're having this really, really important moment right now where racial inequities have bubbled to the surface in a way where we're having conversations we've never had as a country, um, or at least in, in new and different ways. Um, and we're seeing nonprofits responding to this in new and different ways. Um, a couple episodes ago, we talked about um, some predictions for the year. Um, and one prediction that Forbes had made was that there are going to be more women of color in leadership in nonprofits. We would love to know if you think that that is still feasible in 2020. 
I think not only is it feasible, it is necessary. And not just in a nonprofit, it's going to be critical that we have more women of color in positions of power across the entire world. I mean, look, look, at, look what happens with, uh, with COVID responses. The countries with female leaders have been doing remarkably better, like New Zealand and other places, yeah. than the ones with authoritarian, toxic male leaders. So I, I really do think this is one of the key keys to progress is electing more progressive women of color into every single position of power in every single sector. See, this is why we love you because we just recorded an episode yesterday and that was literally like our parting words as well. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we um, reference you a lot, as I had said, and one of the times that we tend to come back to your words frequently is when we're talking about the use of um, reserves. So, you know, having conversations around this elusive uh, term sustainability. So what is sustainability? What does that look like for an organization? And when it's the right time to use your organization's reserves and or as a donor um, with the half the DAF movement. So really trying to encourage DAF holders that now is the time. So we talk about, you know, the house is on fire, everything's on fire, everything's burning down, now is the time. And I was hoping that you could shed some light on um, your perceptions of that. We have, as a sector, been trained to be very risk averse. And we've been put into this situation, into this sort of survival mode, in this sort of starvation cycle. And we have to break out of it. Right? I, I think we've become, we started creating these self-fulfilling prophecies where because we are not spending enough to address these issues now, then they spread. It's yeah. with climate change, for example, right? We have 10 years left before climate change is completely irreversible and there's absolutely nothing we can do. And our kids are just going to deal with like, all these horrible things that will come with climate change. And if a lot of the funders that had been working on this had spent way more funding to pass legislations to curb carbon emissions and, and all this stuff in the past, you know, to force companies, com- corporations are going to be the biggest. Um, that's, that's, where the, that's where the culpability lies. It's not us. You know, like buying recyclable uh, spoons or whatever. It's like, no, it's these corporations that have been polluting and they've been, they've been putting this uh, on us. I was watching Adam Ruins Everything and he explained it very well, which is like, <laughs> we've been bamboozled into this. <laughs> and if foundations, if all of us had just spent more time and resources and money to address these issues 20 years ago, we would not be in the shit storm that we are in right now. So I get really frustrated when foundations like we're saving for for future or or you know board members are like well you know we go we can't tap into our reserve if this is not the time to tap into the reserve then what the, what the hell are these reserves for exactly yes <laughs> love it <laughs> burn it down we don't have time for this like you're saving for the future there's not going to be a future. At this rate. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. You know, I, was, I, was, I was going to the park um, socially distancing with my kids, right? And we saw a turtle. And I was like, and they were so excited about it. And the whole time I was thinking, oh my gosh, 
hope they enjoy this turtle because we might not have turtles in 10 years. <laughs> That is so bleak and yet so true. <laughs> yeah, I, we, have, oh, we don't have time to do it anymore. I think this is the message we need. We just, we, we, no, no, no more time for all this shit. We don't have time for it. We, we got to burn it down. I love it. I mean, maybe that's why we're so excited to have you on here because you're just reaffirming everything that we've been saying, which is just reaffirming everything you've been saying. And so. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's a, good, that's a good cycle. Yeah. You know, one of the things I also really appreciate about your work, Vu, is you know, I, I think so often as nonprofit staff, board members, volunteers, whatever, um, funders, we can see ourselves as so separate from the other um, workings and powers that be in our societies. You know, we are the third sector. We're, we're off over here doing this work separately. Um, and I think you and many others continue to say, if we are going to actually solve these issues, if we're actually going to make major progress, we need to be looking much more holistically, right? It's, it's the tax structure that has brought us to this place. It's the way that our government interacts with corporations and, and there are all these other pieces that bring us to where we are today, where we're not making progress in more significant ways like we should be. Um, and, you know, as much as that really resonates with me, it can also feel really daunting <laughs> and overwhelming. Like, how are we ever going to to do the, the things we need to do to help our communities with all of these structures um, that are, are so huge and overwhelming. So I would love to hear if you have some um, more like bite-sized steps that anybody can be taking in their lives to, to move forward and help address some of these issues. Yeah, I, I, know, I know it can be daunting. I do feel like we do have to address many of these systems. We've been very avoidant of it. Um, and one of the reasons is because we're not funded to do that. Funders are definitely afraid to fund uh, what they consider to be political. And a lot of these things are not political. Getting people to vote, for example, is not political. Um, you know, so, so these, these are things that we have to consider just being more engaged in. So there's a fear, but there's also the lack of knowledge about what is actually considered advocacy or lobbying. Right, and we need to do more of advocacy and lobbying work, and that takes many forms. For example, we can all write op-eds to our local newspapers and talk about these issues, and and lend support to many of the things that the activists out there are trying to change. So that's that's one thing we can do. We can show up. We can call our representatives. Some of us might consider running for office, and I feel like if there's anything that came out in the last three years really is a demonstration that anyone can be elected. <laughs> Whether you are smart Roof. or not, you, don't, you can just, you can run. So at least that's one thing we, we have learned is that, you know, your imposter syndrome, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not as serious because seriously, if we had this president, we, anyone, anyone out there uh, should be able to run and, and do and not destroy the entire world. So I think our fears are oftentimes just unfounded and we just, we got to move on and, and be bold and be okay with the discomfort and the uncertainty and even the failure. You, know, you might run an op-ed and everyone hates your guts. Well, I feel like 
right now, especially with all the protests that are going on, a lot of people are risking their health and sometimes their lives to be out there um, protesting and 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 then you know to really keep the to 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 do some like accountability with the police who's been so anti-black and so racist and they have harmed so many of our black um, community members and without any repercussions and so we're fighting that and people are, are are risking so many things so we all need to step up and risk things as well mm-hmm. yeah that i think that's that's the kind of powerful statements that um i'm hoping folks are really listening to right now um for our listeners we also want to recommend you go back to episode 14 where we talk about lobbying and what it really means like all of the various ways that nonprofits need to be engaging in um in advocacy work um and needing to be braver in these spaces um and and on the topic right now we really need to see our our nonprofit sector uh stepping up um and not just putting out statements right? Like, yeah. absolutely. We need organizations saying Black Lives Matter right now. But then we need our organizations backing it up and dismantling the white supremacy that built our sector. Thanks. There, yeah. there wasn't a question in there. Sorry. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I completely agree. We got to be bold. I, I just got a, a DM on Twitter from someone who's like, boo, my organization will re- refuse just to say Black Lives Matter. Ugh. And she was Ugh. so disappointed. Yeah. And, you know, and I think in some ways, yes, it's symbolic unless you back it up with action. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, but the symbol is also very important because when you say it out there, then it does kind of force you um, to think about, well, are you actually going to live up to this belief or not? Mm-hmm. And people can actually keep you in check. So I, I think that it's important for us to all be out there publicly you know, saying things that may, that may get us to lose some, some donors and funders. Because if they don't believe that Black Lives Matter, then maybe we, they, we should not have them as donors or board members. Oh, man. Yeah, you talk about risk adverse. I mean, that is, you just hit the nail on the head. And we, Nia and I talk about this all the time of we, especially as fundraisers, you know, it's, it's all about the relationship and not wanting to rock the boat. And not wanting to take stances that might alienate a subgroup, but the truth is, do you really even want that subgroup supporting your organization if they don't believe in the values of the organization? But we are so embedded in the scarcity mindset in the nonprofit sector that we're afraid to turn away from any money, no matter who it's from sometimes. Right. We, that's how we have been trained. And I think it has worked in the short run, but in the long run, we are just perpetuating the injustice that we have been trying to fight. So I'm curious, um, you know, the fact that we are in the middle of this pandemic with COVID and, you know, that it will inevitably, it already has, but change life as we know it. What do you think philanthropy, just from your personal opinion, I mean, you've been in the sector a really long time. I'm assuming you were doing that work even during the housing crisis and back in 2008. You know, how do you think uh, what we're going through right now is going to shape philanthropy moving forward? Well, philanthropy 
it has to change. It is a very, it's, there's a lot of archaic practices in philanthropy that just need to change. And we need to stop being satisfied with these small incremental change that philanthropy is starting to realize. Uh, I, I know that 700 foundations signed this pledge saying that they will make things easier on nonprofits. For example, converting all their existing restricted grants into general operating funds. And I think, okay, that's good, but we can't stop there, right? First of all, why were you having all these crappy practices in the first place, <laughs> right? Just because I always joke that it's like signing a pledge saying that you will stop smoking in the forest. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thank you, I guess, but why were you smoking in the forest in the first place? Like, why, why, and why do you think we should thank you at this point? You know, right? Like, why don't you move on? Like, why don't you help put out the fires? <laughs> By releasing more payout rates and stuff, um, so yeah, I, I do think philanthropy needs to change completely. And and honestly, a lot of this looks like philanthropy acting progressive philanthropy acting a lot more like conservative philanthropy. Conservative philanthropy is completely different, and it's ironically very liberal in its processes. Right, they don't spend so much time with the theories of change and the financial statements and the applications and so on. It just and, and they fund for a long period of time. I mean, for us on this on on progressive side, it's like we get ecstatic if it's a three-year or five-year grant. Right. But <laughs> conservatives fund for two or three decades at a time, and that's how they're able to advance so many causes that they believe in. It's because organizations are able to plan and to have the stability to, to execute because it takes a long time to do these things. But over here, we're like, here's $19 for one year, go end poverty. I mean, that's basically. <laughs> wow. That's really fascinating. I, I didn't realize that that makes total sense that that sustained philanthropy of conservatives is what has made their initiative so strong. Can you imagine the Koch brothers going to the NRA and it's like, hey, NRA, you know, we love what you're doing, but like, what's the theory of change? And what's, <laughs> what's your logic model on this? And are you collaborating? You know, like, also, we don't want you to spend any of this money um, on, on, on rent for your office. You right. know? So it's like, no, they don't do that. It's like, here, you know, you, you, we both believe in this. Here's $5 million a year for the next 30 years. Right. I mean, that's how it gets stuff done. Like, and we need to learn from that. Yeah. For me, I, I, I know that uh, you are also very familiar with Edgar Villanueva's work. Uh, we, we saw your great Instagram live. <laughs> that was planned in one day. Actually, we didn't plan at all. We were like, let's just talk. <laughs> the Mad Libs. I mean, that was really where it was at. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think what you're describing there in terms of like progressive funding, it, it, it's so colonialism playing out, right? We have to, we can't trust our nonprofits with this money. And so we have to put all these, these measures into place and we have to ask all, for all of these attachments and ridiculousness. And so I, I know for me, one of my hopes too, is that as uh, we're having these conversations about race and systems of oppression, that those colonial structures that are within our funding structures will also start to be dismantled. Um, I mean, I, for me, I just see them coming so much, so hand in hand. Um, and for me, it's a really hopeful next evolution of where we go so that we can 
we can kind of blow the, the lid off of philanthropy in ways that need to happen really significantly right now. Yeah. And honestly, if philanthropy is not going to change, then the rest of us, we have a responsibility to ensure that it, that it does. Yep. That's why I'm backing the charitystimulus.org petition that is uh, asking Congress to enact legislation, forcing yep. philanthropy to a foundation to increase their payout to 10%, which is double what the minimum requirement is right now. And also donor advice funds, which don't have any legal requirement right. to give out anything at all. Exactly. Um, for our listeners, we'll make sure we throw that in the show notes. Um, we've also uh, signed on to that um, and we'll promote it on our social media too because it's really, really important to get enacted. Absolutely. So Vu, you are our very first guest. The very first guest that we've had on this podcast. Oh, wow. And, yeah. We have, we, it's just been Nia and I talking I'm at each I other. I spontaneously stumbled upon this <laughs> link. And really, you um, were such a catalyst in it. I don't know if you remember, there were a lot of people, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but at that conference that we met you at last fall in Breckenridge, Nia and I spoke to you and I told you that we were starting a podcast. We had not actually started it yet. But I told you that we were starting one and Nia got so mad at me for telling you because now that made it real and now we actually had to go and do it. <laughs> and so from that moment, it was a reality and we started um, about two months later and have been going ever since. So thank you. That's amazing. No, this is great. And yeah, I, I do remember you telling me this. Yeah. Although it was Breckenridge, it was, it was high altitude. I don't remember much from there. <laughs> but it was, Quote, yeah, unquote, but, high yeah. altitude. Yeah. <laughs> but we, in our, every episode, we kind of finish up with takeaways. Okay, so yeah. um, thinking back to what we've talked about over this last half hour or so, um, you know, key takeaways. I love this sense of we're asking progressives to be conservative about something. You know, so <laughs> we don't often do that. They are very effective and we, we have to learn. We have to learn. Yes. Um, what else? What are the other kind of ending takeaways? Anything else that we didn't touch on or that you wanted to add? Are you talking to me? I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was confused I too. <laughs> Sorry. I can't uh, see you, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I probably would end with just, um, just saying how much I appreciate people, right? I, I feel like there's just so much going on right now. I criticize the sector constantly. I really do appreciate our sector. I, I really appreciate the people in it. I have met so many amazing, brilliant folks who are just working so hard to make the world better. And as I always uh, say, we're like air, right? No one sees air and they don't appreciate air until it's gone. And that's like our sector. So I do think that it's important for us to kind of recognize um, just how amazing we are while we work to address the many different challenges that we're experiencing. Great. I love that analogy. It, you know, Brittany and I often comment on uh, a similar sentiment of like, we're holding up this mirror because we love nonprofits and we, we want things to be better and we want our colleagues to be able to stay working in nonprofits and not burn out. 
Um, and, and we want the real change that we've all put in our vision statements <laughs> to actually come to fruition. Um, it, so I just, I love the, the analogy of seeing us like air because that, that is so often what it feels like. Um, and for me and Brittany, it's, we, we often say to our nonprofit friends and, and listeners, we see you, we know you are working hard. Um, and, and we just hope that you can continue for a long time. So Vu, I mean, our listeners should already know this because we have posted it in our show notes and on socials many times, but just in case they missed it, could you let our listeners know where they can get more of you? Where, where can they follow you and read your blog and all that good stuff? Nonprofitaf.com. Also, if you're on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash nonprofitaf and also at nonprofitaf on Twitter. And I just got on Instagram again. <laughs> Are you not on TikTok? Not yet. <laughs> what, what is TikTok? I don't really understand it. So I'm, I think I'm, I'm kind of old right now. I'm sure my kids will explain it to me later. Uh, <laughs> no. I'm dedicated to learn how. So I, I signed up for an account, but that's as far as I got. Yeah, you, got, you've been dedicated for two months, Brittany. It's we'll going believe to it happen. when we see it. I work in nonprofits. You know we move slowly. It, it'll happen. <laughs> And for all of our listeners out there, of course, you can always find us. We are on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at Nonprofit Reframe. Uh, you can continue to email us your questions, your thoughts, your hilarious stories at nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. And as always, if you have capacity right now, this is the time. It is a downpour. Everything's on fire. What are you waiting for? Now is the time to give and give generously. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.